Rumor has it that his head coach at the time altered the playbook by turning it into a pseudo-coloring book, but that still proved to be too challenging for Smith. Where do you draw in green? Where do you outline in orange? These questions were too challenging for Smith. have some breaking news here on episode number 430 of Unscripted, and uh, we welcome you to our said little program, uh, Mike and Chris with you. Before I hand the microphone over to Chris, we do have some, as I mentioned, some breaking news from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Brewers fans, that includes me, not a good day for us, as uh, third baseman Mike Moustakas has signed a four-year, $60 million contract with the Cincinnati Reds. It's hard enough when you lose a good player, but then you lose him to a division rival. That hurts even more. So Moustakas is now the newest, and they're going to play him at second base in Cincinnati instead of third base. So the former Royal, former Brewer, Mike Moustakas, is now a Cincinnati Red with a four-year, $60 million contract in his pocket. It obviously comes out to 15 million bucks a year. And this is kind of funny from the ironic file. Two weeks ago, the Portland Trailblazers signed to Carmelo Anthony, and I thought he'd be gone within, shit, seven to ten days at most. Well, news out of uh, the NBA offices in New York City today is that the NBA announced earlier on Monday, here again, Monday December the 2nd, that Carmelo Anthony has been named the Western Conference Player of the Week for the first time in five years. So Carmelo Anthony is making inroads with the Portland Trailblazers, and there are a lot of people, led by me, that never would have thought this would have happened. I'm surprised he's even gotten a chance, but he has gotten a chance. He's he's running with it. Um, remember, Portland is a team that plays a lot of isolation basketball, which is a perfect fit. Obviously, when you've got Damian Lillard there and you've got C.J. McCollum, those are guys that like to create their own shots. And there isn't a better place in this day and age. Obviously, there isn't a better system for Carmelo Anthony to be in than to be in Terry Stotts's offensive system out in Portland. And obviously, being named Conference Player of the Week, Western Conference Player of the Week for the first time in five years, Last time he was named Conference Player of the Week, he was with the New York Knicks. He's been named offense, or excuse me, Conference Player of the Week in the Western Conference of the NBA. And as much as this is hard for me to say, I will say congratulations to Carmelo Anthony. Will it last? I don't know. But uh, that is a bit of a surprise. Um, as we welcome you to this 430th episode of Unscripted, um, Chris has some news and notes to share with us in revolve in regard to our favorite website for our football information. And I'm going to let uh, Chris quarterback this part of the show and uh, because he's much more up on what he wants to do. So I'm going to hand over the microphone of Unscripted over to the executive producer, Mr. Fluke. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so WalterFootball.com is uh, certainly my favorite football site. It's very, very important to me, and it really provides me with a lot of in-depth analysis that you don't get from ESPN and the um, you know mainstream sports networks like TSN that up here. 
uh, you know, and CBS down there. I mean, even the ones that do a good job, like CBS does a lot of stuff right with their announcing teams and everything. But I mean, their analysis and their fo- certainly the Fox analysis, they I guess they just think that what football fans want is not information. They just want to see us to see guys sit around and joke around and say, hey, fellas, and they're having a good time. And yeah. And I guess that's what they think we want. I don't know what world they live in, but they're wrong. We want information. Uh, and I, I say this all the time. We want one of two things. Either show me guys that are really, really smart about fantasy football or really, really smart about betting on the games. The, like, show me a professional Vegas Sharp. That would be super interesting. That would be really fascinating. Show me that. That'd be great. Uh, or show me a guy who's not just arbitrarily like, oh, this is our fantasy expert. Like a guy who has a record or can somehow show like, man, this guy kicks ass at fantasy football. Really good at tally and devaluation for that type of stuff. But anyway, so our good buddy Walter here who did a shout out to uh, unscriptedmc.com and to the show here, Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Uh, thank you to Walter for that. Uh, I just wanted to uh, kind of return the favor a bit and promote his book. It's called A Safety and a Field Goal. It's available on Amazon, both uh, by Kindle and by paperback. Uh, I got the Kindle version because I like to read on my iPad. It's only $3.99. Great deal for a book. And it's a collection of top five lists. I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet. I've read a couple of chapters. I will get through it. It also, Mike, it also includes uh, not only top five lists from... Uh, Walt's 20 years of uh, running his website that started off as a high school project 20 years ago. But he also, uh, well, he also goes into the what ifs. Like, let's say that this team had made a better draft choice. What's the chain reaction? Like, then this team wouldn't have won the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. And you get this whole butterfly effect. But he also, and I'm looking forward to this. So Walt and his team of guys, like they have some really in-depth draft experts and that. They've been banned from covering the Combine by Roger Goodell. So I want to find out why that is. I haven't Whoa, found it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, that, sure. so that'll be interesting. But anyway, the very first chapter is top five NFL draft busts and what ifs. I won't get into the what ifs, but I will show how he introduced it. I will then represent Walt's uh, picks and then Mike will do his own since Mike was uh, paying attention to the NFL for a lot longer than uh, I was. So let's uh, let's start here. So what the caveat he has here when it comes to his draft busts, uh, Walt says, um, I'm not going to factor in players who failed because of injuries since their disappointing careers weren't really their fault. Thus, Kijana Carter, Steve Entman, and Sam Bradford won't appear in my top five. I've also inc- excluded players whose careers were sabotaged by front office incompetence, David Carr, and situations <laughs> where there were no other superior prospects available. He lists Eric Fisher, Luke Jokel, Trent Richardson, and the caviar-loving Joey Harrington. But he says, then again, perhaps Harrington should have made the list. The Lions probably could have figured out that Harrington would be a bust when he recited all 28 types of caviar in the Combine interviews, which just makes him sound like Josh Rosen to me. But anyway, we are going to move on. So I will start with uh, number five here, and then uh, we'll let Mike go with his number five right after. So at number five, Walt has Akili Smith, quarterback of the Bengals, who also did go on to, I believe, be quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders here in town, if I'm not did mistaken. I, uh, yeah, I think I he know. did. I don't, I don't know. know that. I, Akili Smith was with the Green Bay Packers for a training camp years ago. Was he? Yeah. I really thought that he was on the Calgary Stampede. He might have been. I I don't really know. I think that would have been in the... He probably played like in the mid-90s, like with The Rock or something, but... um... Stampeders Inc. ex NFLer Akili Smith, April 26, 2007. Look at you. Yeah, look at yeah. that. Anyway, right. congratulations. Okay. But anyway, so Walt, just for his brief uh, stuff here, 
he says the third overall pick in the 1999 NFL draft, Akili Smith was rostered for four years in the NFL. He threw a grand total of five touchdown passes in the process. By all accounts, Smith failed because he was incredibly stupid when it came to learning football. He never understood the playbook or what opposing defenses were doing. Rumor has it that his head coach at the time altered the playbook by turning it into a pseudo-coloring book, but that still <laughs> proved to be too challenging for Smith. Where do you draw in green? Where do you outline in orange? These questions were too challenging for Smith. Adding insult to injury, the Bengals lost out on numerous perennial pro bowlers. Instead of Smith, they could have drafted impactful players like Champ Bailey, Dante Culpepper, or Edger and James. Hmm. My number five is going to be um, a guy that uh, I believe, well, I know he was the number one overall pick uh, in 1979 or 80 out of Ohio State. His name was Tom Cousineau. He was a linebacker. He was a superstar. But he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns. And funny, a guy from Ohio didn't want to play for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, But this guy went up to Montreal, played a couple years in the Canadian Football League with the Montreal Alouettes, then came back and played for years with the Buffalo Bills. But he was never uh, never a guy that I thought should have been, or excuse me, never played to the potential of being the first overall draft pick He had obviously a problem with playing with the Cleveland Browns, who again made him the first overall pick, and I believe it was 79 or 80, one of those two years. Tom Cousineau was his name, unbelievable middle middle linebacker at Ohio State, came to Canada, played with the Montreal Alouettes, but then came back to the States, was never the same, and he is my number five all-time draft bust. All right, moving on to number four. And it's interesting because Akili Smith was the third overall pick in the 1999 NFL draft. And now uh, at number four, Walt has the number one pick in the 1999 NFL draft, Tim Couch of the Browns. Oh, there's a good one. And uh, he says, sticking with the 1999 NFL draft, Tim Couch, the first overall selection in that class, makes this list at the fourth spot. Uh, He enjoyed more success than Smith. Uh, He actually says that, you know, he actually played well in the 2002 season. Um, 18 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, okay, <laughs> whatever. But he <laughs> says, uh, unfortunately, the rest of his career sucked. He lasted just five seasons. He was benched in favor of someone named Kelly Holcomb in his final year. He signed on with the Jaguars after that, but failed to make the roster, despite it being reported by Yahoo that he injected steroids. Maybe it's just me, but if you take steroids and are still terrible, you are completely pathetic. As all Cleveland fans know, the fate of the franchise could have been much different. The team simply picked the wrong quarterback atop the 1999 NFL draft as Donovan McNabb, the second overall choice, was theirs for the taking. And yeah, I remember, I've actually, Tim Coach is one of the few I've looked up their college record. His college record was unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was, yeah. He played at the University of Kentucky with a coach by the name of Hal Mummy, M-U-M-M-E. And it was, you've heard of the run and shoot that offense where it's run, 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 run. I mean, pass, 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 pass. He was a prolific passer. And I think realistically, and this is why I'm not questioning because I respect everything that Walter does on his website, but he had mentioned as a caveat that he didn't want injury to play part of the role as to why he would or wouldn't put a person on this list. Well, I have to say this. After Tim Couch was released by the Cleveland Browns, I don't know what year it was, but he was in training camp one year with the Packers. And I think Tim Couch had shoulder problems going back to the University of Kentucky. 
and I blame the Cleveland Browns doctors for not diagnosing this shoulder problem properly because when Tim Couch got to Green Bay, and let's just say for discussion purposes, 2003 through 2005, somewhere in there, they they wanted Tim Couch to be the backup to Brett Favre at the time. Um, The Packers had just lost Hasselbeck as their backup. He had signed as a free agent and went out to Seattle, followed Mike Holmgren out to Seattle. But Tim Crouch was damaged goods by the time he got to Green Bay. He couldn't even throw a 25-yard out pattern. So I think, and I don't know Tim Couch from Adam, but what I believe is that he threw the ball so much when he was in college that I think he didn't have any bullets left in the arm. And I think that played a role because he was never properly diagnosed or maybe they just went like this at the University of Kentucky and closed their eyes because they had no chance of winning a football game without Tim Couch. I think he was damaged goods when he was made the first overall pick in the 99 draft. That's just my opinion. But I do remember, because I've been to Packer practice twice in my life, in 2003, Somewhere in there, because I saw Tim Couch at Packer practice, and then my most recent visit was in 2015. But in 2003, somewhere in there, when I went, Couch was trying to make the Packers as a backup quarterback, and dude, he couldn't even throw a 25-yard out pattern because his arm was shot. My fourth draft bust, NFL all-time draft bust, was a kid that came out of Crenshaw High School in Los Angeles, was the number one rated high school running back, out of Crenshaw High School, again, in Los Angeles in his draft year or his high school year. He went on to play and star and be part of two championship-winning teams at the University of Nebraska. But then he got drafted third overall in, I believe, 1998 by the then St. Louis Rams, and this guy's name is Lawrence Phillips. And Lawrence Phillips did Jack you-know-what-all in the National Football League. He ultimately... uh, milked the Rams for some money for a number of years. Then, as a sign of desperation, he went up and signed with the Calgary Stampeders of the Canadian Football League. And then, ultimately, he died in prison a couple of years ago after having murdered somebody, and he was serving a life sentence. But uh, my number four all-time NFL draft bust was the third overall pick, and I believe the 98 draft, I think it was Manning, Leaf, and then this guy. And this guy was my fourth overall NFL draft pick, or bust, excuse me. His name again, Lawrence Phillips of the St. Louis Rams. Well, I'm sure our buddy Greg will appreciate that one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, well, speaking of Ryan Leaf, we got Ryan Leaf at number three here. I'm sure a lot of people have him number one on their lists, but Walt has him at number three. And as a, as a personal note, I just remember him just just the typical cocky jock, like, yeah, I picture a couple of Super Bowl parades in San Diego, and blah, like, dude, you haven't even done anything yet. So anyway, I remember one. I was it one of his first games. He, I, 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 I seem to remember. Didn't he throw for sixteen yards and four interceptions yeah, against the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember that. So anyway, um, so Walt says no player is more publicly associated with being an NFL draft bust than Ryan Leaf, simply because of his tirades and the fact that he'll forever be linked to Peyton Manning. The Colts chose Manning first overall, and the rest was history. San Diego, unfortunately, opted for Leaf with the second pick, though it wasn't clear at the time which quarterback would go where. Whether Manning or Leaf was the superior prospect was highly debated among draft pros- uh, pundits, with some believing that it would be a huge blunder if Indianapolis passed on Leaf. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, Leaf ended up starting 21 games in his four-year pro career, throwing just 14 touchdowns compared to 36 interceptions. He lasted three seasons in San Diego and then one more in Dallas before no one in the league wanted to touch him. Not even Matt Millen was interested, which is saying a lot. Um, that's funny that uh, Walter had Ryan Leaf as number three because, surprise, surprise, I have also put Ryan Leaf as number three on my top five NFL draft bus. And I'm simply going to say this. Anybody that's from Great Falls, Montana, (laughs) (laughs) automatically qualifies for Bustum. I agree with what Chris just said about Ryan Leaf. He came off as cocky, came off as arrogant. Unfortunately, years later, we found out that there was a drug, a huge drug problem that landed him in a West Texas jail for, I believe, five years. Um, he's now out clean and sober. He actually did. He's working for ESPN now as a game analyst on some of their regional telecasts. And I actually got to listen to Ryan Leaf when he did the Wisconsin and, uh, Kent state game earlier this year. He sounded okay. Uh, but again, as a guy, I remember, you know, what I remember most about Ryan Leaf is that he had had one of his terrible games and he's in the locker room after the game, and a reporter comes up to the locker, and we've seen this on on highlight packages since it happened, but he just started going off on this reporter, and then Junior Seau, God rest his soul, Junior Seau, who was then the star of the San Diego Chargers, had to come in and pull the reporter away and break them up because Leaf was about to kick the crap out of this reporter. That's what I remember. There are nothing on the field that, you know, reminds you of being the second overall pick. Nothing around the field reminds you of leading Washington State University to the Rose Bowl for, for, you know, I mean, Washington State and the Rose Bowl is just, they're not in the same sentence. They haven't been back since. And he did a lot of great things. He had a very good coach at Washington State uh, by the name of Mike. Oh, what was his last name? But he went on to coach at Alabama. Now he's the coach at UTEP. But anyway, Mike Price was his coach, was the name of his coach at Washington State. Did great things at Washington State, but let's just say his uh, his career plateaued at Washington State. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, you know, once I saw that Waltz had Leaf at number three, I thought I knew who number one would be because I figured it would be Leaf or this guy. But then I saw him at number two, leaving me in suspense for who number one will be. So that'll be interesting here. But so, of course, that means at number two, he's got Jamarcus Russell, quarterback the Raiders. And uh, he says pretty much everyone believed Calvin Johnson should have been the Raiders' first overall pick in the 07 draft. Johnson probably would have been the choice until Jamarcus Russell's legendary pro day workout. Current Raider, current Raiders general manager Mike Mayock, ironically, and who is a great talent evaluator, a great talent evaluator, uh, then serving as an analyst on NFL Network, called it the best workout I ever saw. Russell was so amazing that angels even cried as he was making his throws. That's what Walt said. Yeah. Um, this prompted owner Al Davis, who was undead at the time, to select. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's funny. Uh, to select Russell over the more proven Johnson. The rest was history. Russell went on to post one of the worst stat lines for any quarterback in a single season. In nine games in 2009, Russell threw just three touchdowns compared to 11 interceptions, all while completing 48.8% of his passes. He was also guilty of nine fumbles. Yes, he had three times as many fumbles as touchdowns. I don't know how that's even possible. Despite this, Davis continued to defend his quarterback. He fired Lane Kiffin, a coach who was a non-believer in Russell, and then declared to the media, 
Jamarcus Russell is a great player. <laughs> Davis' horde of gargoyles, zombies, and demons were on hand to slay those who dared to laugh at his ridiculous proclamation. I think five Raider reporters died that day. Despite Davis's legendary words, Russell didn't appear in a single contest after 09 as he ate himself out of the league. There was even a shot of him eating what looked like Skittles while on the sideline. He also showed up to a future workout weighing 300 pounds. Authorities are still searching for the man he devoured. <laughs> okay, for my number two on my top five list of NFL draft busts, this one is... Uh, goes close to home for me and I go back to the 1989 so we go back what 30 years yeah. go back to the 1989 draft the number one pick in the 1989 draft was a quarterback out of UCLA by the name of Troy Aikman he turned out okay yep hall of famer won what three championships in Dallas I'll skip number two because that's where this guy fell in this but number three in that draft and the reason that this guy was a draft bust for me, because number two pick uh, for the 1989 draft happened to belong to the Green Bay Packers. I will skip number two momentarily. Number three was a pretty good guy we've all heard of, drafted number three overall by the Detroit Lions in 1989, one Barry Sanders, Hall of Famer. Number four was a pretty damn good linebacker out of the University of Alabama by the name of Derek Thomas, who has unfortunately passed... But he was also, gee, let me see. Oh, yeah, Hall of Famer. And number five that year was a loudmouth out of Florida State, cornerback drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, Neon Dion Sanders was number five. My number two all-time draft bust was the number two pick in this draft. His name was an uh, unbelievable left tackle by the name of Tony Mandrich, originally from Ontario, uh, went down to Michigan State, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the biggest, uh, the incredible bulk. I remember the I remember the the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated that had Mandrich on top. He was 321 pounds, could lift buses, could lift stadiums. I mean, he just was. But he was juicing. He was juicing so heavy that he he uh, you know. But my number two in that draft, you have Aikman to Dallas, Barry Sanders to Detroit, Derek Thomas to Kansas City, Deion Sanders to Atlanta, and Green Bay takes Tony Mandrich. And it was funny because Gil Brandt, the so-called guru of drafts, then as the uh, on, the, on the staff of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, working for Coach Tom Landry at the time, 1989 happened to be Jimmy Johnson's first year as the general manager and de facto or head coach and de facto general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, he made the wise choice of taking Aikman. But there was quite a deliberation, supposedly, of Dallas between Aikman and Mandrich. They went Aikman. The Packers were then left with Mandrich. The Packers took him. He lasted about two years in Green Bay, then was out of the league for a while as he got clean and sober, and he came back and at least made something of his NFL career with the Indianapolis Colts, but he made it as a guard, not as a tackle, because once he got off all the all the drugs, he's shrunk like about 40 pounds, and he wasn't the incredible bulk anymore. But my second overall NFL draft bust was one Tony Mandrich in 1980, 1989 out of Michigan State University. 
Well, I've heard you talk about Tony Mandrich before, and so I always wondered, is that Mike's Green Bay bias? Is that, uh, you know, is he really not that bad of a bust, but it just seems like a big bust because Mike's a Green Bay fan? But at number one for Walt's list, Tony Mandrich, offensive tackle for the Packers. So every time you think that Mike is super biased, you're right. It's just maybe not quite as bad as you might think because this is a legitimate pick here. And Walt, who has grown up in Philly, grew up as an Eagles fan, tries to be impartial now for betting purposes, but he he agrees. So I guess guess Mike is uh, completely legitimized in picking Tony Mandrich here. And, and Mike only had him at number two. Walt has him at number one. And right. so let's see why Walt has him at number one. Because he says, it may seem odd that anyone was listed ahead of Jamarcus Russell on this dubious list, as the human devouring quarterback is alongside Ryan Leaf in regard to being known as the greatest draft bust. How could some offensive tackle, who wasn't even chosen first overall, rank ahead of Russell in this regard? To answer this question, I want to go back to my criteria. One item that must be considered is what the team could have accomplished otherwise. And he <laughs> makes the same point as you do. And so while you were saying this, I he has the top five list of the 1989 draft here. And I mean, as he says, that's unbelievable. All four of those other players are in the Hall of Fame. Mandrich, meanwhile, barely even played on offense as a rookie, being relegated to special teams. Instead, What the fuck is he doing on special teams? What, like he, honestly, what could he's on? He's on. He, he's certainly not. He, what he did was he was the end guy on on, on extra on, points and field goals. Wow. Okay. Um, his self entitlement issues also irked his teammates in the locker room. He was quoted as saying, "I am not like other players. I am Tony Mandrich, and they have to understand that. If they don't like it, that is just the way I am, and they are going to learn to like it. They apparently never learned, as the Packers cut him after three seasons." Yeah, um, unbelievable again, and it and it just it just gets amplified when you look at the four other guys that were part of that top five, and the other four guys, as we mal made mention ad nauseum, that the other four guys, Aikman, Sanders, Thomas, and the other Sanders, all four of them are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Um, my number one draft pick and I just switched positions <laughs> I just switched Jamarcus Russell to me screwed the Oakland Raiders for 39 million dollars for doing nothing he was fat he was worthless he was stupid he was a lot of things and again I've I've heard about that infamous uh, pro day workout uh, on the LSU campus which obviously Mike Mayock and a lot of other highfalutin NFL executives were at, and a lot of people, it wasn't just Mayock, a lot of people thought that was the greatest pro day workout that they had seen. And with that arm and with that ability and that be able to do the things that, but, you know, again, then you hear about what he did in training camp and basically you needed to break out the crayons to make sure he understood, you know, at LSU and in college, you can still dummy down the playbook a little bit. The National Football League, it's an occupation, it's a profession, it's a job, and you can't, dummy down for anybody especially a guy that you're going to be paying 39 million dollars over the course of a three-year term contract so Jamarcus Russell was my number one because he never seemed to take it seriously he never seemed to get in shape and obviously he was as dumb as a box of rocks and ultimately I don't know what he's doing now I hope he's having a good life but I can say this that if he was smart enough and this is a big if if he was smart enough to get the proper help and work with his finances, he should have been fine for the rest of his life. And he owes a lot of gratitude to the Oakland Raiders for taking him one overall in that particular draft. Wow, that, yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, so uh, the next chapter that we can do next time or whenever we want to 
you know, feel like doing this. The next one will be top five worst NFL free agent signings. And someone that we mentioned, I'll, I'll just leave it at this, someone we may have mentioned in a positive light uh, in the last few minutes might be on this list because they might have been a great draft pick, but you can still be an amazing draft pick and have an amazing career. And then later in your career, some idiot owner, and there's a couple that come to mind, and it's probably one of those guys, <laughs> might give you tons and tons of money for nothing when you're 100 years old and you might not be able to perform like you did when you were 22. And so you might simultaneously be a great draft pick and a Hall of Famer and have a great career, but still be on the free agent bust signings list because somebody overpaid you when you were old. Well, I've got three names that come to the list right now, so we'll have to do that. And, and we will do that because that was a lot of fun. And, and I do want to thank you for... Uh, Walter and introducing me to his website. Um, I have. Have you to, been looking at it? Yes, I have, and oh, yeah. uh, I think I have a good knowledge of the National Football League. But uh, Walter shames me, and I have to admit that I'm using a lot of his material because it's right there, and uh, it makes me sound a lot smarter than I really am. So I thank you to Walter, and uh, I look forward to taking a look at your book um, here in the very near future. Uh, before we get out of here on this 430th episode of Unscripted, we do have to bring up uh, a big weekend of college uh, football games, rivalry re weekend, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, but I just, I do have to make mention of one particular game, well, two particular games, one that I was proud to be associated with and one that uh, I'm going to make some fun at, okay? It's just my nature. Um, Michigan fans... Still happy with Jim Harbaugh? He's now been in, at Ann Arbor for five years, a more than respectable 47 up and 17 down career record as the coach of the Maize and Blue. Here's the big problem, though. After Saturday's ass whooping, I think it was 55 to 26, right off the top of my head, something like that. That now makes under the five years under Harbaugh, Harbaugh is now 0 and 5 against Ohio State. He's 2-11 and 11 overall against teams ranked in the top 10. Now, again, 47-17 and 17 overall record at Michigan. Very good. Better than his predecessors, Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke combined. But still, at Michigan, the all-time winningest college program in NC2A history, and they can't beat Ohio State. In fact, it's gotten so bad, folks, that... Ohio State has won eight in a row in this series and 14 out of the last 15 over Michigan. So it isn't just Harbaugh, but Harbaugh is the one that's being paid $7 million a year to resurrect the Michigan program. Michigan has not played since they've, they've uh, instituted the Big Ten championship game. Nine, this is the ninth year. Michigan has not qualified for the Big Ten championship game. Michigan has not beaten Ohio State in eight straight times. The Ohio State, it was, what, uh, seven in a row. Urban Meyer was a perfect 7-0 and against the University of Michigan. Ryan Day is now 1-0. and But the more telling stat, 14 out of the last 15 times that these two marquee programs have matched up, Ohio State has been the victor. That should never happen at a school like Michigan. And although all the Michigan people are saying the right things today that we're getting better, well this year, last year they lost 63, 62 to 39. This year they lose 55 to 26. 
So I guess your defense is eight points better. Um, there's something wrong in Michigan, folks. I don't know what it is. Um, when they played top 10 competition this year, yes, they did beat Notre Dame, but was Notre Dame a top 10 team when they played this year? I don't remember right off the top of my head. All I do know is Wisconsin kicked their ass 35 to 14, and the 14 came when Wisconsin was already up 35 zip. And this aberration in the big house in Ann Harbor, Michigan on Saturday, and Michigan couldn't get any closer than 55 to 26. So, um, I will, and the second game that I want to make mention of, obviously I'm a homer. I will always be a homer. I'm proud to be a homer. I was very proud of the University of Wisconsin and their football team this weekend. They went into Minnesota against all odds, and they beat the previously just one loss, uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Wisconsin just just kicked the crap out of them. Wisconsin beat them 38-17. to Wisconsin qualifies for their sixth appearance in the Big Ten Championship game this upcoming Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. I will say this right now. Ohio State will win the game, but I will take anybody's money. I will take anybody's money that Wisconsin will cover the spread. I believe the spread's going to be probably three touchdowns because they played earlier this year, but it was at Ohio Stadium and Wisconsin lost 38-7. to I will say it right now for anybody, and I'll say it loud and I'll say it proud. Wisconsin is not going to beat Ohio State, but they will cover the point spread, which I believe will start out on a neutral field and taking into factor the 38-7 to ass whooping from earlier this year in Columbus, Ohio. I believe the first point spread when it comes out probably about Wednesday will show that Ohio State will be, I think, 21-point favorites. I believe Wisconsin will come within that. Again, Ohio State's going to win the game. Ohio State's a better football team. Even the esteemed athletic director from the University of Wisconsin in his post-game press conference on Saturday in Minneapolis said, this current Ohio State football team is the best Big Ten football team that I've seen in the years that I've been in the Big Ten. And Barry Alvarez came to Wisconsin in 1990. And he says that this is the best Ohio State team that he has ever seen. So what the Badgers are playing for here, folks, is respectability, and they can still find their way into the Rose Bowl game. That would be a great thing for Wisconsin fans. It would be a great thing for the Wisconsin program. And look at it this way. Some people are going to think, obviously, Ohio State will go on and they'll play in the college football playoff. We've got that. That doesn't change after the weekend. The weekend, in my opinion, and this will come out tomorrow, but in my opinion, the top four teams for the playoffs, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Georgia. Right now, done. But I'm telling you right now, folks, the uh, Ohio State will obviously qualify for the playoffs. Then the second team in the Big Ten will qualify to represent the Big Ten against the uh, Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl game in Pasadena, California. I believe that representative of the Big Ten, if the Badgers stay within the 21 points, I think that team representing the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl game on January 1st in Pasadena, California, should be the Wisconsin Badgers. Some people will say Penn State, because Penn State will have had less losses. Here's why I say hell no to Penn State. A, I'm a Wisconsin fan. B, Penn State did not qualify for their championship game. And C, the real overriding factor here, Ohio State, excuse me, Penn State lost to Minnesota in Minnesota. Wisconsin beat 
Minnesota in Minnesota by three touchdowns. That's all that should have to be said. That's it. I mean, we cannot sit here and analyze shit to to the nth degree here, folks. The bottom line here on the field, Penn State went into Minnesota and lost. Wisconsin goes into Minnesota and wins by three touchdowns. If Wisconsin stays within the point spread, Wisconsin should be the second-rated team in the pack, in, excuse me, in the Big Ten Conference, and that should open up that avenue for Wisconsin to represent the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl game January 1st in Pasadena, California. There. A lot of good things to talk about. Thank you to Chris for a, a great uh, episode number 430 of Unscripted. I enjoyed it very much in regard to the five top NFL draft busts. It gets my head thinking, and and uh, it's always good to get my head thinking. And uh, also, real quick, um, this was a bit of a surprise to me while we're on the college football topic, and I'll, I, I promise I'll shut up. But a lot of coaching changes this weekend. Uh, Boston College fired their coach. Old Miss fired their coach. Uh, South Florida fired Charlie Strong. Um, it happens every year. A lot of coaches get fired after their last game. But one thing really surprised me today, just came out this morning, earlier this morning, Chris Peterson, the guy that resurrected and made the Boise State Broncos what they are today. Every pollster hates Boise State because they're very good, but they are the small school and they're not from a Power 5 conference and they drive the administration crazy and they're going to drive them crazy again this year because Boise State has the best record of all the teams that are in non-Power conference uh, conferences. But Chris Peterson, the guy that put Boise State on the map and then left for Washington to resurrect the Washington program, for some reason, and I don't know why, I'm still looking into this, Chris Peterson has resigned this morning as the head football coach at the University of Washington, and that is a very plum assignment. If you're not familiar with the Washington Huskies program, it is a plum assignment. They've got unbelievable facilities up there in Seattle. They've got a great stadium. They just it, it's, it's, it's a marquee job. A lot of people don't know about it, but I'm telling you, trust me, the University of Washington is a marquee college head football coaching job, and somebody's going to be very lucky to get that job. I'm just kind of scratching my head as to why Chris Peterson decided to resign at the University of Washington. We've got a run on this 430th episode. Free Forum Friday is next, a great way to end the week, and I look forward to it. So hopefully you do as well. As again, we put a wrap on this 430th episode of Unscripted. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.